0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond, and I'm a senior regulatory intelligence expert here at TRRI. As ever, I'm delighted to welcome you to our podcast series, which covers the very wide range of topics impacting compliance officers in financial services firms. Now, if you're in compliance, you will know that the regulatory environment is ever changing for financial services firms around the world and has become even more challenging during the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, for this podcast, it gives me great pleasure to once again introduce my colleague, Mike Cowan. Mike has a wealth of compliance experience. And we'll be discussing with me the 10 things compliance officers around the world would need to consider in 2021. Now, we discussed the first of those five things in the previous episode of the podcast. So if you'd like to listen to that, please do. Here we will be discussing the six to 10 of that list. Now, each year I look into my crystal ball and think about what are the likely concerns that are going to be top of list for compliance officers in the coming year and that is completely regardless of financial services sector or geography. Now, the list of six to 10 um, covers product governance, shifting skill sets, compliance resources and budgets, digital transformation dependent on data governance, and personal accountability. So without further ado, product governance. Now, product governance is one of those things where the expectations from regulators really have moved quite fast in the last few years. Regulators have chosen to look as upstream as they possibly can um, in terms of making sure that the right product is sold to the right person with the right circumstances and the right disclosures and disclaimers. In other words, that the products sold are fit for purpose and sold to the right people. Um, You could basically say product governance is at the absolute heart of investor protection. Now, the point with product governance in the circumstances we're in now is that products should be designed and built and manufactured for particular target markets. You can't just say this product will work for absolutely everybody. And when you know it doesn't, that that is an inappropriate way to do product governance. What you have to have is a clear set of policies and procedures, guidelines under which certain target markets are built products that are appropriate, they are eligible, they will work for them. Now, under the COVID and the pandemic and all of the changed circumstances, there is going to be a potentially enormous piece of work for firms to go through their entire product suite and make sure that all of their products really did work as intended. And also to make sure that those products are still designed and built are fit for purpose because the goalposts have changed. The goalposts have changed really quite profoundly in some places. Now for the more vanilla products it's actually very likely that no change will be needed at all but for potentially for some insurance products, some bonds, some investment products, that sort of thing, they may no longer be suitable for the target market they were aimed at and so both target market might need to be adjusted, firms may need to talk to um, existing product holders, product suites may need to be flexed. It's a big piece of work potentially, and of course, great chunks of that work will fall on the compliance function.
1: Uh, and well, to to just you know, because to to be honest with you, this this um, ish, this point on the priority list is quite um, interesting to me because the point you made around. Uh, target markets and products changing and and, and and denominations of customers requiring different things because of the pandemic because of the changes as a result of the pandemic um, is absolutely right and and so that work needs to be done and it needs to be done within a product governance framework within firms so that it's done in a controlled way so that product design is is transparent evidenced written down approved etc etc there is an oversight body within the firm that signs off and uh, and makes sure that products are developed appropriately target market you've covered scenario analysis is done including the testing of products and then the the usual governance things of monitoring and reporting performance and and changing um, products accordingly when results aren't as required from a customer and a f- firm perspective. So product governance uh, is key. But but to finish to, to finish my point here, I would just underscore what you've said is that products aren't there for life. Products change because customers change and customers' needs change. And because of the pandemic, customers' needs have changed.
0: Exactly. And if you are going to do a form of post-pandemic review, which I would suggest is a very good idea, you may want to have a very central thread of product governance in there because it's entirely possible the regulators will be doing something very similar and it will absolutely put you on the front foot If you have already done it, already done the work, already spoken to your customer base, if that's what you need to do, shift your products and just make sure that your product suite is still delivering the required good customer outcomes. Um, You do not want the regulator to tell you it's not if you could have found that out for yourself. You really don't. Moving on, number seven is um, shifting skill sets. Now, Compliance officers, um, and both Mike and I have been the head of compliance, so we're all too well of this. We're well aware of this. You do need to be a polymath. You do need to have expertise in a pretty wide range of areas. Now, the cost of compliance report um, for 2020, we asked what are the ideal skills required for a compliance officer, and I suspect you wouldn't be totally surprised to know that number one was subject matter expertise, which is great. But subject matter changes and evolves and continues to grow. Um, Among other things, Mike's already mentioned climate risk and Islamic finance. Those are two areas where it is entirely possible that firms are going to have to upskill and will get involved in. And hence that means the compliance function needs to upskill and get involved in. Now, climate risk you will have seen heaps of output from regulators talking everything from ESG um, to greenwashing to um, the need for uh, transparency and disclosures and all the rest of it. Islamic finance is perhaps a little more of a surprise in terms of skill set requirement, but the Bank of England at the end of last year was very, very clear that, and and I'm going to quote um, Andrew Hauser here, the core principles of Islamic finance are strikingly well suited to responding to some of the biggest challenges we will all face in rebuilding our economy once COVID has passed. Now, when you have a very senior policymaker and regulator making statements like that, firms pay attention. Firms may well wish to get involved and consider Islamic finance as a uh, business activity and stating the entirely obvious compliance officers will have to get into that skill set and potentially really quite deeply into that skill set. I wouldn't underestimate quite how much there is to learn on Islamic finance. It is profoundly different in its way of operation to conventional finance. So Mike, I've mentioned climate risk and yeah, uh, Islamic uh, finance is there anything else on the list that uh, uh, compliance uh, officers ought to
1: hey we could go on from for weeks but we've only got a few <laughs> minutes um but uh, I like you came at came up well what does subject matter expertise mean and I I linked subject matter expertise to the, the types of risk the time that I as head of compliance compliance officer are exposed to so you're absolutely right Islamic finance if you're in that sort of firm that does that sort of business that needs a certain expertise. There's the technology point around um, not only fintech, regtech, cyber security. You, if you know, increasingly these days, firms need and compliance functions need more technological expertise. Uh, the climate risk you've mentioned, payments is another one that requires a certain level of discipline. Outsourcing uh, vulnerable customers, as I say, the list goes on, uh, and I would be um, if I thinking about subject matter expertise would be equating what with what are the risks that I'm exposed to and what what are the technical abilities that I need within those risks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and I, I think that segues quite nicely onto the next point on compliance resources and budgets. I mean, it is absolutely essential that your compliance function is appropriately resourced and has an appropriate level of budget. And some of that, almost by definition, will be allocated to skills and training and awareness. Now, I mean, of course, compliance functions aren't immune to budget cuts. I mean, it won't be a surprise to anyone that, you know, there will be troubled economic times um, at our doorstep, but... Compliance functions must not be unduly clipped in the sense of resources. And what I've seen that was particularly worrying was that even before the pandemic, there were signs that compliance resources were being perhaps unduly squeezed. Um, the case in point was actually in Ireland, um, at the Irish regulator, the Central Bank of Ireland, put out a whole suite of thematic reviews and dear CEO letters And one of the threads throughout, and indeed a cited root cause of of the issues um, that were found, was that compliance functions had not been appropriately resourced. So the compliance function itself had been starved of resources, and also compliance vacancies had been left unfilled for just far too long. Now, You know, that's an absolute catch-22. Of course, you're going to have compliance issues at that point, but then you also don't have the compliance resources to remediate those compliance issues. So, Mike, where's the balance point for compliance resources and budgets? I mean, absolutely, they're not immune to budget cuts, but they have to have enough resources to deliver good customer outcomes, maintain compliance, report all of the things that compliance functions do day to day.
1: Uh, yes, completely. Um, I think that look budgets and compliance resources are a confirmed challenge for both boards and compliance functions themselves. Um, the cost of compliance reviews last year, both the main one and the, the COVID um, um, update, both identified budget challenges uh, compliance resources as a challenge for both a board and compliance officer level now rather interestingly and this may may be a misinterpretation but actually the pandemic may have have, have relaxed the focus on compliance budgets a little I mean I know that sounds strange to say because you know we're in hard times here you you know the pandemic has hit all financial institutions but they, the the, the the balancing budgets and increasing cost of compliance didn't come out quite as strongly in the COVID update as it did the cost of compliance report earlier in earlier in the year. I'm not saying that's a blank check for compliance officers. Not at all. I'm sure that there are squeezes and there, there 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 will be cuts that they will be asked they will be asked to make um, through the coming year. Um, but you know boards can't have this both ways. Also out of the COVID update cost of compliance report, their main challenge was about culture and about maintaining a compliance culture. And they can't be seen to be beating on about compliance culture as they should be and, and, and delivering those sort of messages, but with by the same token, reducing their compliance resource so that the culture is more difficult to deliver. So, you know, there's a bit of um, there's a, there's a bit of give and take here, and I think that you know, in times of difficulty, don't get me wrong. Uh, over the years, compliance functions have always been asked to cut and uh, cut their cloth accordingly, uh, being polite about it, um, and I'm, I'm sure that won't be any different this this year. But actually, you know, there was a chink of light for me in, in the cost of compliance results from last year that things might not be as difficult as perhaps, as perhaps you know, they would be otherwise, um, because, because the boards have identified that a compliance culture is necessary, and even more necessary during the time of a pandemic.
0: I really, really hope you're right. I mean, I, I know that precisely the results you're talking about, but... I I hope you're right, I really do. Um, Now, part of what the compliance function will have to get involved in, in terms of also resources and skills and everything associated with that is digital transformation. And one of the, I suppose you could say, benefits or side effects of the pandemic is that digital transformation for many firms has been hugely accelerated And they've changed at speed, they've implemented technological solutions, and they have truly embraced an online and virtual world. Now, my my point with regard to digital transformation here is is not so much the resources and the skill sets from the compliance function. Those absolutely need to be there. But my point is very much around that digital transformation has to be dependent on really good data governance, And that, again, is another area where the compliance function will need to be front and centre. Now, data governance covers a very broad charge, but we've spoken about the importance of data protection. We've talked about governance and product governance. Um, We've talked about the resources and the budgets. But, for instance, let me just say that, you know, as a key cultural indicator, you do need to invest your digital transformation equally in both front office and back office. There is absolutely no point in having an all singing, all dancing, technologically enabled, artificial intelligence, mis- machine learning informed front office. If you don't have an equally technologically enabled digital transformation back office, you can't have A front office that your back office, compliance function included, cannot monitor or does not have the capability of monitoring. And a base plate for making that happen appropriately is data governance. And that data governance is central to how your firm will operate going forward on so many levels. There are critical data sources, inputs, outputs, reporting, management information, you really could consider data governance as the lifeblood of firms. But again, it is one of those areas where you have to almost, as a compliance officer, take that slight step back and look at the whole uh, holistically and make sure you understand what flows go where, why, what are the dependencies, what are the issues and criteria, and, and to be frank, where the weak spots are. Um, what could happen to make this fall apart? Where are the chinks? What, what policies and procedures do you need in place? And to be frank, what resources do you need to make sure it all still works? Um, Mike data governance. I know a huge subject. We could talk just on data governance for, for an entire podcast, but, compliance data governance 2021 what does it look like
1: big issue big big issue um and let's let me start with digital transformation first i mean i think that i think that you you're absolutely right to link these two key issues Digital transformation and data governance. You could argue that digital transformation will not happen without the data to to be able to make it happen. And therefore, the data that you put into a system needs to be managed, governed in some way to be able to ensure that not only regulations are met, but customers, for example, third parties, a whole host of other stakeholders are not being um, disadvantaged in some way. Uh, that's not. To, that's putting aside the operational benefits of, you know, um, access, storage, reporting. So, data governance is a big ticket issue, and a big ticket issue that many firms um, underestimate. A lot of firms will focus on the digital transformation, the the whizzy new systems um, and the the, the forward-looking databases and artificial intelligence solutions. Again, the list goes on. And rightly so, this is an area of growth. I mean, the the Thomson Reuters uh, Regulatory Intelligence, FinTech, RegTech, Role of uh, Compliance Report, found that 70% of firms had reported that the vi- that during the virus they had increased reliance on technological solutions and that rose to 81% of firms from a globally systemic important financial services institution perspective so this is a big area this is this is, this is an area that's growing and i think the balance has got to be right in that in that com- regulation and compliance functions don't want to stop innovation and stop um, um, uh, effective application of IT solutions, but equally we need to be careful that the data used is used in the correct way um, given the inputs and the outputs from, from various systems and that they are controlled in the appropriate way. I mean, I think I'm I'm only echoing what you've just said, Susanna, but just to summarise it all, for me, the challenge for 2021 is not the progression of digitalization. I think that'll happen anyway, but it's more about how firms control that development and all the dependencies that that development entails.
0: Uh, very well put, yes. And I think coming back to compliance officers being polymaths, they do need to get their arms around data governance in the broadest sense because without good, strong, robust data governance, your digital transformation won't reap the benefits it really ought to. And we're moving on to the last but not least point, which is personal accountability. Now, we touched on people governance and how that should all work, But firms really should not know, not underestimate the sheer amount of personal accountability that is, if you like, being stored up. Um, Regulators around the world have shown really quite a lot of forbearance um, and have put back regulatory change. They've engaged with firms and customers, but that does not mean they have closed their eyes to potential misconduct And accountability regimes around the world are truly proliferating. Um, Mike mentioned um, Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore is just one of the latest. Ireland is talking about doing something very similar to the UK's senior managers regime. And that focus is absolutely on making it simpler for supervisors to hold people to account and to hold people to account for pretty much every cause you can think of misconduct So it's essential that firms, and obviously their compliance officers, have a really robust approach to evidencing and showing the discharge of personal accountability. Now, for compliance officers themselves, um, about half, 58%, reckon that their um, personal accountability will increase year over year. That's from the cost of compliance report. And that is a truly perennial concern. I mean, compliance officers themselves are not immune from personal accountability. That's probably a point worth making as well. But it is absolutely critical they are leading on how personal accountability is seen to be discharged in their firm. Um, Mike, I mean, the wider ramifications there as well. So for compliance officers and indeed for senior managers personal accountability in 2021 um yeah now the reason why i like this point in the in the in the top
1: 10 uh, priorities list is that the fact to add to your forbearance point about the regulators showing a lot of forbearance in this area because of um the pandemic and and the associated um, imp- uh, problems with that that Alongside that is the fact that the regimes that you've talked about, the UK UKC management regime and the ones in Hong Kong and Singapore, which I know has just started but are about to start, and the ones in Australia, they're very much in their infancy. Um, now, this can be demonstrated by a look at some figures from the PRA, uh, which were issued recently, where then conduct notification figures, this is where senior managers should be reported for breaching firms' conduct rules, if you like, for acting inappropriately. You know, since the inception of, this, of the regime in the UK in March 2016, the PRA has just received 16 notifications from firms about their senior managers' conduct. And, and and you know this is out of a total of you know just under eight thousand senior managers across all firms in UK authorised firms. So so you see that the point I'm making here about the risk to compliance officers and wider SMFs uh, senior managers as well is the fact that. You know this regime looks really big and really scary and 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 before it was implemented everybody was oh what about our personal rights and all of this sort of thing it's now been implemented and implemented successfully a lot of people like the senior managers regime and you know a, a lot of we get the, the uk has got a lot of international credit for employing it in the way that it has done and firms have, have now most firms, shall we say, have now embedded it or at least put placed it in the, into their procedures within the firm. So it becomes it. So it sits nicely alongside their HR procedures and other policies and. Uh, but the reason why this is this is important now it's easy for for compliance officers and other senior managers to switch off and think it's all done as long as we get a one-to-one an assessment once a year and we we meet the satisfactory standard we're fine We're, we're, we're you know we're fine from a senior manager's regime perspective no it's not there is an ongoing obligation on this and there will be for now for now until year whenever it finishes i guess to be able to make sure that all smf all senior managers are compliant with the rules at that time and that isn't just a tick box exercise that is a more in-depth look about how senior managers go about running their areas and about evidencing their responsibilities and the control regimes they have around it etc 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 so my my worry my my warning here is that if you're in a firm which has had an SM a senior manager regime implemented for the last couple of years, and you're thinking I'm fine with this, it's not a risk for me. Great, superb, it means you've done a great job. But the regulators still haven't used the teeth of this tool to be able to fulfill its objectives. And so please don't underestimate where this uh, facility this reg- these regulations could go and please be just as diligent about the pr- policies and procedures around uh, these as you were when you implemented them whenever that was uh, I think it's a great one for a top 10 one because it's one that that consistent con- because when procedures are put in place co- consistency gets knocked back and think we've done that tick that box we're moving on please don't think like that. Please have a, have a conscience around how this is complied with on a day-to-day basis going forward.
0: Yes, I mean, it really does need to become part of the DNA of the firm, um, or else you are very dangerously liable, potentially. Um, and the regulators won't stop looking. It, it really is that simple. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and we've come really to the end of our time. So thank you so much, Mike. And, and thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. As with the other episodes, we do hope you found it both interesting and useful. Now you can download a copy of the 10 Things article in the episode notes. Also in the episode notes is a download link For our report on fintech, regtech and the role of compliance, together with further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence itself. Our 12th annual cost of compliance survey is still open. So if you would like to take part in that, the link for that is also in the episode notes. That report will be published in quarter two of 2021. Last but not least, we would very much appreciate it if you would take the time to review the podcast. And in particular, please do let us know if you have any suggestions for future topics to be discussed on Compliance Clarified. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.